0: Psalm 103, for our call to worship, I'm going to read beginning in verse 1, and otherwise you can listen as I read, we turn our hearts to the Lord now. Psalm 103, of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who is oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Let us come to the Lord and pray. Father in heaven, we pray now that you would help us to bless you and to give you praise. For you have shown us your great and merciful acts. That you have demonstrated abounding love. Steadfast love. Covenant keeping love. That you promised and you answered in sending Christ to remove our transgressions from us. Our sins, Lord, that we could not pay ourselves. We stand here as Christians uh, forgiven in Christ by faith. And we come to worship in that forgiveness and in the hope, Lord, that you have not only forgiven us but lifted us up out of the pit, set us on our feet and given us life and hope and righteousness. We come to worship, Lord, in the hope of Christ redeeming all things and making them new and making them good once again. We thank you, Lord, for the hope we have in him, and we ask now that you would help our hearts to worship as we sing your praise, and as we hear the word, Lord, instruct us in the way everlasting. Lead us in repentance and obedient faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Psalm chapter 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Some of us have been striving to memorize this passage over the past couple of weeks. Um, I am often guilty of much forgetfulness, um, specifically when it comes to memorization. So I've been laboring, though slowly, to memorize and to think upon familiar passages like this one. David declares that the sun and the sky above never cease to bring forth God's glory, that there is no glory displayed whose light does not shine forth. There is no speech whose voice is not heard. The point that... That is the point that David is making, that God has manifestly displayed his own glory, as bright as the noonday sun, through things which can be seen and felt. There is nothing hidden from the sun's heat. There is also, therefore, none on earth who can hide their face from God's manifestation of his character. Romans states in chapter 1, verse 19, that for for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Despite the overwhelming manifestations of God's goodness and glory, have we been guilty of forgetting the goodness of God this past week? Jesus bids us to come, to gather And to tell of and to remember his wondrous works. And the question is simple. The question I've been asking myself, reminding myself through the week. Have we forgotten our Savior? Have we grumbled and complained, staring into God's glorious creation to the sky above, declaring, why me, O my God? Oh, how quick we do forget that our sins have been forgiven in Christ and that we have peace with God, our Creator. How quickly also the Israelites forgot their burden of slavery, the deliverance through water, the deliverance from the spear, deliverance from hunger. The story of Scripture is a testament of man's forgetfulness and God's great patience. Though grumblings be mounted to the sky, He has not cast us away. David recalls just a further. Uh, just further on in chapter 103, that he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Often when we forget, the floodgates of depravity open, and we soon find ourselves so quickly, waist-deep in the pit, of our own unrighteousness. So the question is simple, what are we to do? We are to taste and see that the Lord is good. Is that is not that why we are here this afternoon? Are we here only here? Are we only here for well wishes and friendly handshakes? Or do we like Peter respond, Lord to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and known that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord in confession. Father, I confess how quickly I forget. Lord, um, you have displayed your glory from the east to the west. Lord, the rising of the sun is a testament, Lord, of your glory and of your faithfulness to your people. Um, Lord, we are not deserving of such kindness and patience Lord you're not wishing that anyone should perish but that all should turn and Lord we are testaments here this evening if we are in Christ of your patience your goodness and your kindness your forgiveness of our many sins Lord our transgressions mounted up to the sky Lord you have wiped clean Lord we confess our grumbling and our unthankful hearts we confess hearts that are so prone to wander Lord we feel it Please, O God, God, restore us to you this evening. Lord, if there be any here in our midst who do not know the love and the blessedness of knowing Christ Jesus as our Savior, may they turn now, turn to the cross. For where else, O Lord, can we go? So we look to the cross now, and we continue to look to the open grave, empty, and we think upon our ascended Savior in the heavens. And we thank you, O God. And it's your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to call on the ushers now to uh, hand out the offering. And as they come up, it's um, good every week to remind ourselves from the dust we were created and the dust we shall return. Everything that we have is a gift from our God. So let us not be filled with the weights of this world and thinking that if we keep these things to ourselves we'd be better off the Lord says the one who gives is blessed so let's examine our hearts this evening and uh, let's just ask the Lord's help and his blessing upon our giving Father indeed you have given us all things Um, we pray that we would be Lord, eager to give back Um, Lord we have come into the world with nothing and we will leave with nothing Um, we have been manifest We have had blessings showered upon us day in and day out. So please, O Lord, help us to be grateful. Help us to be quick to give. Um, We need your help in this. And please bless um, the giving this evening as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: Let's pray. Lord, we thankful. We are thankful here this evening that you are merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love, as your word says. Lord, when we consider the ways in which we have provoked you uh, with our sin, with our faithlessness, with our, our pride and our autonomy... Uh, Lord, you have every right, and justice demands our condemnation. And yet we are amazed as we turn to your word, something that we could never come up with if we had a million years on our own, that the God of creation, the God of the cosmos has extended mercy to us, not just through words, not even just through deeds, but by the sending of your only son, your precious son. Um, You sent him and he came willingly and voluntarily to die a wrongful death at the hand of unjust men. And uh, those who trust in him, those who lean their full weight on his sacrifice, are free, and not free to go their own way, but free to um, live in obedience, the, the, the end for which we were made to live, not for ourselves, but for the God who made us. And we praise you this evening for the spectacle of the cross, and I pray that as we sing sometimes, that it would never lose its power. That even for us who perhaps have been in the church for longer, that we would not come to these services, that we would not consider such an awesome spectacle as the cross casually, that we would not take these things for granted, that we would be led to wonder and to worship every time. We confess, as was already mentioned, our hearts are often cold. We are not often uh, compelled by the beauty of the Lord as it is presented before us in your word. We are strangely um, indifferent, often we confess. And I, and I pray this evening through the work of your spirit that you would open our eyes and that we would uh, be changed as we consider your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, we pray for those in our midst who are suffering and struggling this evening, who are enduring trials of various kinds, and who perhaps are tempted to, to give up or to give in to despair. I pray that you would raise these up this evening, that you are comfort and your consolations would extend to them. We thank you that you have, you are so familiar with suffering. In fact, your word calls you a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So you are fully qualified to walk beside those who are uh, walking in their own paths of grief. Uh, we pray specifically for Sarianne this evening in uh, in Quebec as she um, sits with her parents and her mother who seems very close to the end. We pray that um, you would sustain this family uh, during this time and that there would be, again, as we can all testify, uh, the peace that passes understanding in seasons of even impenetrable darkness. You come alongside with your rod and your staff, and you comfort your people. So I pray that that would be uh, the case for the Miller family right now. Um, We pray for others in our midst who are uh, struggling with sickness or um, whatever it is. Lord, you know the needs of, of every person represented here. And I pray that we would hear this morning the consolations of the gospel, That is what Israel was waiting for for so many years, the consolation of Israel that was realized in the Messiah and the Messiah has come and he has not come with a sword, at least the first time he came not raising his voice in the streets and uh, and we are amazed that at this reality and I pray that As your word tells us that we would kiss the sun while there is time. That we would not exclude ourselves from your mercy. That we would not see ourselves as above it like the Pharisees. But we would come like the tax collector, like the publican. Uh, That we would come simply in the acknowledgement of our sin and, and find forgiveness. That there would be no one who stays on the outskirts when grace is offered in the feast hall. Be with us this evening as we hear your word. May it fall on good soil. May there be fruit this evening. Um, Help us as a church, Lord. Help us to love one another sincerely. Help us to put each other's needs above our own. Uh, As we have received such grace, may we be eager and willing to extend that grace to one another. So we pray that you would come and exalt your name here this evening. We pray in your name. Amen.
3: Rock of ages,
4: Well, we are continuing our series in Proverbs. If you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 21 to 26. Proverbs 3:21 My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, through the Spirit which you have poured out on us. We thank you for your Word, which is truth. We ask that your Spirit would... Help and comfort would illuminate, would revive. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. We've been working through um, chapter three, and this is the point. In this portion, the father is giving a homily or a, a speech to his son, instruction on how to live. And in this portion of the homily, Um, The Father is reminding the Son to be vigilant in His guarding of wisdom. And the reason that He gives for that is because wisdom is of greatest value because of the benefits that one receives through it. The benefits that one receives through wisdom in this passage, are nothing less, include nothing less than life itself. And this is important because if we think of wisdom as something that is uh, kind of um, the last level of attainment in the Christian life, or something that we we eventually progress towards, right, something that comes upon us after 40 years or something, Uh, and maybe not even all of us, maybe just a select few of us, that we really haven't grasped, the meaning of wisdom. Perhaps we may not have even grasped wisdom. And if we haven't grasped wisdom, if we haven't embodied wisdom, if we haven't kept and guarded wisdom, then we don't actually have life. Because in wisdom is life. Wisdom is, um, I want to remind you, is basically the capacity to comprehend reality and the character to walk according to it. You need both of those things. You need to be able to see things accurately, but it's not enough to just see, right? The the demons know that God exists and tremble. Uh, Satan is not an atheist, (laughs) right? In fact, no one's an atheist, really. Um, that everyone in some way knows God exists because He has revealed Himself to them through the things that have been created, Paul tells us in Romans 1. Uh, but we don't all respond appropriately to the revelation that we've been given. We don't all respond appropriately to the knowledge we have. So wisdom is not synonymous with knowledge. It requires knowledge, which is why we read through Proverbs that, that you are to pursue knowledge. Uh, But wisdom is actually not only the possession of knowledge, but the responding appropriately to it, to whatever that is. And obviously, that begins most fundamentally with acknowledging the reality of God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to come back around to this, but you can see why um, it is necessary to have wisdom, to have life, because it's necessary to have wisdom, to have Christ basically. Wisdom also includes the capacity to have hope in the midst of peril and trust in the midst of terror. Um, we all know that we can't, you know, protect our children from everything that comes. And we've seen already through the book of Proverbs that the father is so intent uh, you know, this is the, the this is the king speaking to his son, and if he could give him anything, it wouldn't be palaces and wealth and chariots. It would be wisdom, because you can give your son all of those things, and if he has wisdom, he has nothing, and actually he's worse off for it. But if you have wisdom and you have nothing, you actually have everything. And so the father is desperate that his son come to know and receive and pursue wisdom for himself. And one of the reasons we see in this passage for that is because a father knows that his son, living in a fallen world, will come upon many dangers, will face many trials, will in all likelihood be in peril at various points in his life. The father and no human can protect their children from that, but we can With God's grace and through the instruction of the word, give our children wisdom. That is, give them the ability to face whatever it is that is fearful with faithfulness. And so this is kind of the heart of the Father's exhortation. When we are caught in the storms of life, wisdom is what keeps us scanning the horizon for even the faintest flicker of a lighthouse beam. Rather than staring at and succumbing to the crashing waves. Wisdom again is the capacity to see and observe that which is real, and ultimately to see and observe Christ, even in the midst of storms, even in the midst of suffering and terror and loss. So we're going to talk about these things this evening. I want to talk about what it means to guard wisdom. I want to talk about wisdom's benefits. And lastly, I want to talk about wisdom's confidence. My son, says the father, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound, wisdom, and discretion. The word for keep could be translated as guard. That's what it means. Uh, It means more than passively holding on to something. I mean, technically, the English word can, can can have the same connotations, but we don't often think of it that way. Uh, presently, the image is not so much of carrying wisdom around in your pocket, uh, but rather placing it safely behind you, weapons pointed outward against all threats. That's essentially what the Father is saying here, to not passively hold on to something, but to actively defend something, to guard something. But that raises... Another reality, the fact that the father has to warn the son to guard wisdom, what does that imply? Well, that implies that in some way, wisdom is under threat. The wisdom is not the kind of thing that we can throw in our knapsack or put in our pocket or keep on our bookshelf or hide in the corner and it remains unthreatened. Wisdom is the kind of thing that requires constant vigilance, not only to attain, but to keep. Indeed, if we view wisdom or the attainment of wisdom as something that we once had, uh, we probably are no longer wise. If we think that, well, when I was in my teen years or 20s, I read a lot of books, and I used to listen to a lot of good sermons, or, you know, I, I know this, I know that. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. If we ever view wisdom as something that we have come to attain in the past, that we no longer need to pursue, far less guard, that we are probably or definitely not wise. Wisdom is the kind of thing that we must be vigilant in guarding. We are not at peace, but war. And the posture of vigilance is articulated in the exhortation to not lose sight of these. That is wisdom and discretion. What he means is to keep wisdom and discretion always in your field of view. Don't let them out of your sight. Always keep them in your field of vision. Don't take your eyes off them. Just as we wouldn't presume to drive without watching the road, we shouldn't presume to live Without keeping our eyes ever on wisdom and discretion, because we cannot live without them. To keep your eyes, to take your eyes off of wisdom and discretion and expect to live faithfully is like saying, I close my eyes and simply press the gas pedal. Well, you're not going to stay on the road long. The idea here is of constant and diligent attention. As one commentator notes, that we are constantly and diligently attentive to wisdom and discretion. Again, wisdom is not something that is stored away once attained. It is not put in the bottom of our bag to be taken out when the occasion calls. It is more like the compass by which we navigate every step of the journey. And thus it must be guarded with vigilance. Note the promise in this text, for those who keep or guard wisdom. It goes on to say in verse 26 that the Lord keeps or guards them. In other words, the idea that we read here in the text is that those who guard wisdom are guarded by God. And we've, I've preached a sermon on this idea before, that those who guard wisdom are guarded by God. In other words, one of the primary ways that God guards his people is by granting them wisdom. Just as you, you, know, you send your military out and you send them with bulletproof vests and you send them with helmets and you send them with guns, means of defending themselves, you send the people of God out armed with wisdom. And this, this is a guard for them. They can't always have people surrounding them. They certainly won't always have you around them. But they can always have, through Christ, wisdom. This raises several realities. And, and one of the most obvious is that we, we desperately need to recover a view of the Christian life that is characterized by battle. And this language is used all throughout Scripture, and we see this all through Proverbs and in the New Testament. We must reject the contemporary notion that we will passively slide into the kingdom of God. And we must embrace the fact that each day we are... Whether we like it or even whether we acknowledge it, are engaged in a cosmic war, a war against the world, the flesh and the devil, a, world that is an, a a war that is ancient, a war that has been raging throughout empires, throughout time. A war that has been raging since the fall of our first father, Adam, and will continue until the return. Of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, to crush all enemies, to make all wars cease. There will come a day when all wars will cease. um, When we will be safe to sin no more. Uh, But that is not today. Today we find ourselves in the thick of things. And it's easy to forget this because there's a sense in which it takes eyes of faith to see that. One of the one of the one of the benefits I thought of the last several years, when there was you know external opposition, is that it was very clarifying. It was very uh, it was it, the, the sense that we were in a battle was visceral. Uh, it was obvious. It was palpable. It was uh, unavoidable. It just it just was. And for me personally, I just found that very easy. I just found that very centering and focusing. And, and there are hard things about it but there's something that's um, but there was something that was good about it there's something that's dangerous about peacetime um, for a variety of ways paul exhorts timothy to fight the good fight first 1 timothy 118 to share in suffering as a good soldier of christ jesus second timothy 33 3. the language of warfare is used Throughout Scripture, obviously in Ephesians with the armor of God. Now, this battle that we're fighting is not a carnal one and it cannot be fought with guns. Second Corinthians 10.3, Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Guns and bullets and tanks and nuclear bombs even do not have divine power. Nothing has the power that the Word of God does. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey, obey Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. In other words, we fight by taking our own thoughts captive to obey Christ. So what does it mean to guard wisdom? What does it mean to be in the battle of faith? To fight the good fight of faith? Well, one of the things that we're doing is that we are constantly battling our own hearts and minds. To take captive the own, our own thoughts in our head and make them to submit to obey Christ. We need to be on guard, as the Proverbs repeatedly warn us, against being wise in our own eyes, of relying on our own wisdom and understanding. We need to wake up each day with a conscious awareness that apart from God's grace and the direction of his word and the wisdom that he grants, we could make a train wreck of everything. And if that is not something that you are you feel in danger of, you are in danger. The reason that we gather together, the reason that we do Sunday school, the reason we do men's breakfasts and women's Bible studies and all of these things, one of those reasons is because we really believe that we are capable of making an absolute train wreck of everything. It's not because we think we're really smart and wise and capable. It's because we think we're totally stupid and foolish and incapable and and capable of doing really bad things and making really stupid decisions and going down really bad paths. And in five years, we looked and just thought, oh, my goodness. I wish I'd known then what I know now. This takes humility and this is what we need God to do in us, each of us. That, you know, if, if 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 we are not constantly letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, as Paul exhorts, if we are not hungering and thirsting for the word of God, then we are in some implicit sense trusting in our own wisdom. We wouldn't say that we know everything, but what we're saying in our actions is we know enough. So we fight, one, by taking our own thoughts captive to obey Christ, and the way that we know whether they obey Christ or not is if they are in accordance with his word, not our thoughts about him, but his thoughts about us. We are wise in the word, and we apply his word, which has divine power to destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised by the knowledge of God. Notice that we don't only guard our minds with the word of God, but we wield the word of God against foolish arguments of men. There's, there's, a, um, there's a great quote by Spurgeon, which I hate to not say it verbatim, but he, he's basically like, the armor of God is no protection for your back. Right? It's like there's no, you don't turn your back to the enemy. There's no running, there's no retreating. And we often view the armor of God as purely defensive, Uh, But a sword is not defensive, it's offensive, right? And um, even when people think about Jesus' words um, uh, about the kingdom of God and against the gates of hell or Hades, it's like gates don't move, right? Gates stay put and you charge. But so many people hear that passage and they think about, like, we need to, we're not gonna lose to the gates of Hades. It's like, well, yeah, they're stationary, right? Like, it's like you're right here in the field just just getting ready to fight and ready to fight and ready to fight. And it's just like four hours later, it's like no one's coming. It's like, yeah, because you're supposed to go. Like, it's you need to move. That's the image here that Paul says. We destroy arguments. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We're not only to be defensive with the Word of God, we're to be offensive. We're to take that Word of God into the world. Repeatedly we read throughout the book of Acts, it is the Word of God that advanced. The Word of God went forward. The Word of God is what created all of this and did all of this. And are we unleashing the sword of God's Word? One of the dangers of not fighting is not just about us that we succumb Defensively, but that we are not on mission, that we're not fulfilling the commandment that the Lord gave us to go out into the world, to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. A stationary church is a disobedient church because there's no such thing as the word of God remaining still. It goes forward. And we need to take it Forward. This is not being political or whatever excuses people make. This is just being faithful. We need to commandeer the word of God and send it into battle. So we are in a battle to guard wisdom by having our minds renewed with wisdom that God grants through his word. And we are in a battle to take ground not to remain passive and stationary, not merely to defend, but to wield the word of God. One of the reasons we need to guard wisdom as the father instructs his son and discretion is because of the indispensable gifts they bestow. So now the father moves on to the reason. He says you need to keep your eyes on these things. You need to be vigilant in guarding them. And now he explains to the son why. They will be life for your soul. An adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of the sudden terror of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. The strength of our resolve in any conflict is directly correlated to the value we place on whatever it is we defend, right? Would we fight to the death for a personal preference in music? I mean, I hope not. Uh, You know, would we fight to the death to get the last baked good at a cafe? Well, I hope not. Some, maybe. (laughs) Would we fight to the death for our children? Yes. Hopefully for our neighbors. Why? Well, because children and neighbors are of greater value than baked goods and song preferences. Part of the reason we need to be vigilant in guarding wisdom is because of its inestimable worth, and specifically, and what we gain through it. And the author here lists several things. Whatever is most precious requires the greatest defense. The question is, why are we told to be vigilant in our guarding of wisdom? Well, look at the gift that wisdom bestows. There are gifts that wisdom produces that cannot be attained otherwise and without which we cannot live. That is why he pictures wisdom as a precious adornment to signify something of worth. The first of these gifts is life. They, referring to wisdom and discretion, will be life for your soul. What can a man give for the price of his soul? Um, What does it profit to gain the whole world and forfeit? Your soul. Your soul is what's worth most. This is not hyperbole. The guarding of wisdom is a matter of life and death because wisdom is life. Proverbs 8.35 Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. And all who hate me love death. I hope that you've been seeing throughout the course of our study and it's going to come up over and over again that um, you are either wise or a fool you either have life or death the wisdom is not something that belongs to the spiritual elite wisdom is something that ought to characterize every single child of God And if our lives are not characterized by wisdom, we don't have life. That's not to say we don't grow in wisdom. It's not to say that we don't all in our own ways possess foolish thoughts and do foolish things. Of course we do. As long as the flesh remains, there's a fool hidden in our hearts who is us, who needs to every day die. But if we are characterized by folly and if we actually hate wisdom, the end of that path is very plain. It's just death. And this is why we need to warn each other and why we need to encourage each other and why we need to exhort each other daily, that we're all prone to be wise in our own eyes, to think that we got this, to think that we know the way, that we know the path. And and the end of that is nowhere. Life here refers to more than mere existence. They will be life for your soul. What does he mean by life? Well, we all know that life is more than existing. Um. We capture this in the English by saying things like, uh, now we're truly living. We don't mean we are truly being sustained by oxygen and our brain and organs are functioning properly. What we mean is something like, our present I- existence in is, is in accordance with our purpose. When someone says, now we're living, or this is what it means to truly live they don't mean that their bodily functions have not been proper to that point what they mean is their mere existing is not life in one very real sense that's the way that the word is being used here in proverbs to have life for your soul is to not only have you existing but your existence is in accordance with your created purpose So wisdom is for the life of our soul because it is by wisdom that we live in accordance with our purpose. And Jesus Christ taught us plainly these things when he taught us what it means to live. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Which is why the scriptures can say that those who put their trust in Jesus presently possess eternal life. Eternal life is not something that comes at the end. Eternal life is to know God and his son Jesus Christ. And that's something that by faith you, every single person in this room, can experience. You can experience eternal life right now. Which is to say you can actually live. You can live in accordance with what you were created to be and to do. Wisdom, as we've seen in, in Proverbs, begins by fearing God and acknowledging Him. And in doing so, we align ourselves with reality and our purpose in particular. The opposite of this we see in Scripture is true as well. That sin, is described in the Bible, as essentially walking dead. Dead men walking. It's possible to exist... In other words, but not truly be alive. This is what Paul gets of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So they're dead and they're walking. There are realities that they cannot, indeed will not comprehend, that they are blind to. Even as they breathe and think and walk following the course of this world, that is the pattern of this world, going along with the way people think and the things people do and adopting the values of everyone around you, following the prince of the power of the air, that is the devil, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So this person that Paul's describing, which is all of us, actually lived Dead. Caring at the desires of the body and the mind, who are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's possible to have life and to not truly be alive. And the only way that we come to have true life is by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin is a blinding pursuit of passions and desires at the cost of obedience to God. And the consequence, Paul says, is spiritual death. So we need to think about what does it mean to truly live? Are we alive? Or do we merely exist? To live means to know Christ. And wisdom is life for our soul because wisdom acknowledges Christ who is our life. Colossians 3.4 says. Do you see now why we are exhorted to guard wisdom at all costs? To guard wisdom is to guard your life. To lose wisdom is to lose your life. The second blessing is security from threats. And he mentions various kinds. The security that wisdom affords is all of life. He says when we walk and when we lie down. This is a linguistic way, a literary way of saying in everything. Wisdom affords us security no matter what we do and where we are. And it is a security that is secure even in the most vulnerable, powerless situations like when we sleep. We don't need to go into a theology of sleep, but it's very obvious um, that God made us to sleep and that when we sleep, we are completely defenseless. And this is a built-in feature of the world to remind us that God is in control and that we are not. So he promises in general that wisdom will guard us. He mentions the threat of stumbling, of injuring ourselves by wandering off the path. So many people over the years I've talked to live in a constant state of fear of making the wrong decision. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, as long as I can remember, I remember we used to have conversations about this. She she was, my wife was worried about marrying me, which is crazy, right? Like, you don't need to, that's a no-brainer. Um, but so many people just they're paralyzed to making decisions. They genuinely want to do the right thing. I've talked to so many Christians who are in this boat over, over you know 10, 15 years. but they're so scared that if they make a decision, it's going to be the wrong decision. They are totally paralyzed um, by this fear. But wisdom guards us by guiding us. Um, when wisdom is our guide, we ought not to be afraid of stumbling. We stop thinking of life as kind of this right-wrong decision path. You know, roll the dice, go here. Roll the dice, go there. Roll the dice, go here. Wisdom is a kind of thing where, when we are, when we truly possess it, that we are given a guide and a compass. Um, we're not worried about making all these wrong decisions in a fatalistic sense. As long as all of our decisions honor the Lord and are in accordance with his word, we're more concerned with making a wise decision. But in order to know what a wise decision is, we need to be immersed in the word of God. The book of Proverbs, and the reason we're going through this, is chock-full, practical wisdom, wisdom from relationships to parenting to work ethic to wealth to health to all of these things. The book of Proverbs specifically and the word of God in general teaches us the way the world actually is and orients our life around a love for God and his son Jesus Christ. And um, through faith we are given the spirit of God and through practice and doing the right thing over and over and again that we gain the powers of discernment and this is how we make decisions. So many Christians still have, it's, it's almost a superstitious view of decision making. Um, you know, that, 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 and even some people do this with spiritual language, like praying about it. Um, you know, we, we're reminded of Jesus when he says, like, if someone comes to you for help, don't say, like, God bless you and see you later. Don't try to act like you're being spiritual, like give the person some bread. That's a spiritual thing to do. Uh, if you know what you're supposed to do and you delay doing it, even if you're pretending to be pious while doing it, it's just disobedience. So you need to know what to do, and you need to walk in the obedience of faith in actually doing that. And wisdom, and the attainment of wisdom, which we spend our life growing in, helps us to stay on the path and guards us from the threat of stumbling. But I'll say it succinctly. The, great, the threat of stumbling is not that you, will, that you will just make this horrific decision, that life is a series of tests that God puts you on, and you're just going to, with your best intentions, do something dumb. That's not, that's not life. Okay? Um, life is about learning to see the world as it actually is, according to God's word. And living each day for his glory, and by faith, and in obedience, and just walking. And we need to be immersed in the word of God. So wisdom keeps his son from stumbling, keeps us from stumbling. There's another threat here. That's not in wandering off the path and doing dumb things. So he warns his son about many risks, for example, of with women. We're going to get to those. There's a lot of risks with making dumb decisions with women because you're not wise. Making dumb decisions with money. Making dumb decisions with your time. There's a lot of dumb decisions that the father is going to warn his son About To teach him the way the world actually is and how it works. But it's another kind of threat that he talks about here. And that is the threat of sudden danger. Do not be afraid of sudden terror. That is, of facing uncontrollable circumstances. So stumbling, which we ought to be concerned about, is a result of folly. It's a result of just not being wise. Uh, But sudden terror is not a result of any insufficiency on your part. It's just because we live in a fallen world. In a fallen world, there's always a potential for sudden, uncontrollable danger. Things can happen to us that have nothing to do with any decisions that we have made or not made. They are simply the result of living in a place that is corrupted and dangerous family gets sick famines happen jobs lost mortgage rates go like through the roof all these things have nothing directly to do with us but we live in a world that is a frightening place and to some degree i would say relatively we've been insulated from that but we're not entirely insulated And wisdom guards us from fearing sudden terror. Even more than that, wisdom helps us to live through such perils. See, this is what the danger of, you know, trying to control the circumstances rather than giving your kids the tools that will help them get through whatever circumstance is so naive and short-sighted. There's going to be things that happen to our loved ones, to each of us, even in this room, that if we could control it, we would. If we could stop it, we would. If we could take it, we would, but we can't. So we have to help each other endure those things. Paul says in Romans that we know Glorified. Wisdom is the capacity to see behind the waves. To see beyond the terror. To see God. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us All things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. All of these realities are only seen and comprehended by faith. You don't know these things apart from God's word. You don't get this when you get a diagnosis. You don't get this when you lose your job. You don't get this when your marriage falls apart. You don't get this when you come to economic ruin. You don't just get this. This is something that God has to tell us and to teach us. But by faith, we receive that. And this is what wisdom is. And this is what helps us to navigate the world in faith and not fear. Because whatever the circumstance is that we are facing, we know that that is not ultimate. That God is. See, the problem with what happens when we suffer, and I talk about this, we get tunnel vision. When you suffer, you get tunnel vision like no other time. All, all you see is the thing that you fear. And it's, it's, apart from God's grace, it's nearly impossible to get out of that place, to expand your horizons. And what the Word of God does is it it, it, it expands our horizons to tell us what is behind that thing that we fear. What is beyond that thing that we fear. What is God doing through that thing that we fear so that we do not fear? He goes up, we also read that these um, trials are not only things we ought not to fear, but that God actually uses them. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials... So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through its test, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you do not see him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." So wisdom is to be guarded because through wisdom we have life. Through wisdom we are kept from stumbling. Through wisdom we are guarded against fearing sudden danger. And lastly, um, we are protected from the ruin of the wicked. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. It's interesting that the ruin of the wicked is something that is... Certain in this passage, and this is a reality that we, that wisdom, would say that we should think about more often. Part of the one of the characteristics of folly, one of the fundamental characteristics of folly, is the denial of consequences. We see this all the way in the beginning, right? God says, "Do not eat of this tree." For the day you do, you shall surely die. And then Satan comes in and tempts them and says, you know, has God said that? And you will not surely die. In other words, you will not face consequences for your actions. You can get away with this. But we are reminded over and over in Scripture that a man reaps what he sows. And the ruin of the wicked is is a certain fact. Um. But although we can get away with what we want to, it seems, for a time, the time that we live is a vapor, Scripture says, it's fleeting. Um, And there will come a time where we face judgment, where we face responsibility for everything that we've said, even the things that we've thought. And the Bible describes that time as a time of ruin. But wisdom, the Father says, helps us not to fear that. And the reason is, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The righteous, those who live by faith, those who are wise and acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ, cannot suffer the certain ruin of the wicked because Christ suffered in our place. It just simply cannot happen. And this is actually one of the greatest blessings and one of the greatest joys that a Christian can actually experience, and that is forgiveness. Um, That whatever we have to fear and whatever difficulties lie before us, the condemnation of the wicked is not one of them, because Jesus Christ was condemned. That even in the difficulties and the trials that we face, God is actually using all of those things for our good, which will last forever. So one of the litmus tests for us of whether or not we're guarding wisdom is whether or not we experience this freedom from the fear of danger. If our life is characterized by a constant state of fear of danger, then we are not walking in wisdom. That is, we're not walking according to reality. That is, we are not walking according to the reality of Christ. We We are getting our tunnel vision We are averting our eyes. We are not, as he tells his son, not losing sight of these. Not losing sight of him. We are like Peter who stands and then he looks away and he doubts and he falls. And the solution is always to fix your eyes on Christ. Fix your eyes on Christ and you will see and you will feel the fear simply dissipate. Not necessarily the pain, not necessarily the sorrow, uh, but the fear, absolutely. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Guarding wisdom is keeping the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ ever before our eyes. And lastly, in closing, all of these gifts of wisdom are received through faith. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Life and security and freedom from fear are the result of wisdom because true wisdom trusts in God. That is, true wisdom is the fruit of of faith Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is in the Lord Jeremiah 17:7 7. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit This is the kind of man that God calls us to be, to be a tree that is steady and secure and blessed because its roots go down deep to Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your word which orients us, your word which is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are going to take the Lord's Supper together for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'll ask the ushers to now come forward, and uh, we will pass out the elements, and then I will come back up and pray for them, and we can take them together.